welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, celebrating pro and college football history. This episode, legendary Rose Bowl winning and Super Bowl winning coach Dick Vermeil. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of the book, The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, that's published by the University of Nebraska Press and is available on Amazon.com. It's an oral history of football dating all the way back to the 1930s. You can learn more at thegamebeforethemoney.com, and I encourage you to check out the Game Before the Money Facebook page as well. Today, we get to hear stories from Dick Vermeil, a man who I personally have always admired ever since I was in elementary school watching him coach the Philadelphia Eagles. Coach Vermeil owns the distinction of being the first ever special teams coach in NFL history. He worked under George Allen in that capacity for the Los Angeles Rams in 1969. Vermeil served as head coach for three NFL teams, the Philadelphia Eagles from 1976 through 1982, the St. Louis Rams from 1997 through 1999, and the Kansas City Chiefs from 2001 through 2005. You sometimes hear about a four-decade player in baseball. Dick Vermeil is a four-decade coach in the NFL. The 1970s, 80s, 90s, and then the first decade of the 2000s. How about that, as Mel Allen might say? Coach Vermeil led the Philadelphia Eagles to Super Bowl 15 against the Oakland Raiders. He led the St. Louis Rams to a championship over the Tennessee Titans in Super Bowl 34. And he also led UCLA to a Rose Bowl victory. He's going to share stories about those great moments. Many of you listened to episode 10 of the Game Before the Money podcast that featured the great Marv Levy and Coach Levy told stories about his days as head coach at Cal with Bill Walsh as his assistant and how Dick Vermeil would sometimes attend Cal practices. Coach Vermeil is going to share his memories of those days, which is still incredible to think about. Three future Super Bowl coaches, a total of nine Super Bowls between them, all gathered together in the early 1960s, before the Super Bowl even started. If you're a longtime football fan, you certainly know Coach Vermeil's name, but I think you're really going to learn a lot of interesting things that you didn't know about both Coach Vermeil and football history. Dick Vermeil grew up in Northern California in the small town of Calistoga, Winemaking is a big part of his family's background, dating all the way back to his great-grandfathers. You can learn more about that part of the story at vermeilwines.com. 
As for Coach Vermeil's sports background, he says his high school football coach, Bill Wood, encouraged him to continue his football playing career beyond high school. Well, you know, it was a little high school of 129 kids. My senior year, a new football coach came to town to take over the head coaching job, his first one out of college. And in playing for him my senior year, halfway through the season, he told me he thought I could play college football if I wanted to. And no one had ever told me that before, and I was excited about that. Vermeil says that Coach Bill Wood also inspired him to become a football coach. So Bill Wood is an excellent example of a high school football coach having a tremendous impact in somebody's life. He encouraged a teenage Dick Vermeil to think about playing football at a collegiate level, and that in turn inspired Vermeil in an academic sense because he hadn't taken college prep courses. Vermeil attended a junior college to upgrade his academics, and Coach Wood also stirred Vermeil to follow a career path in coaching. After Vermeil had a stint playing at Napa Junior College, Vermeil played football at San Jose State. His road to San Jose State included a bit of a detour at Pacific. Vermeil played quarterback, and Pacific already had another quarterback in their training camp that was held in the small town of Jackson, California in the Low Sierras. The other quarterback in the camp was a kid out of Sanger High School in Sanger, California. His name was Tom Flores. Yep, that Tom Flores, the future quarterback and head coach of the Raiders. After my first year in junior college, I went over to College of Pacific as a quarterback, and Tom was there, and they moved me to running back. I didn't think I could end up being a running back, so I left and went back to junior college and I got married and I went to San Jose State and my wife came with me then and went to work with telephone company. So how amazing is that? Both Dick Vermeil and Tom Flores at Pacific's training camp in the 1950s, both small town California kids looking for a spot on the football team. Nobody knew that over 20 years later, the two would oppose each other as head coaches in Super Bowl 15. The backstory is that they met all the way back in the 1950s before the Super Bowl was even dreamed about. The Oakland Raiders and the American Football League were years away from starting, yet the footsteps of Super Bowl history walked along the Low Sierra Mountains right around the time Super Bowl hero Joe Montana was born. Coach Vermeil said that he and Coach Flores remain great friends. Vermeil ended up playing quarterback at San Jose State. He tells us the story behind his choice to attend the school. Well, it was a good physical education school. I wanted to be a coach and teach physical education in high school, and they recruited me on an agreement that if I made the team, they'd give me a scholarship, and I made the team in spring practice, and they gave me a scholarship. Vermeil made the 1956 and 1957 San Jose State Spartans rosters as a quarterback, and he still had his sights on a high school coaching career. His career started out in a rather humble fashion, a result of a student teaching assignment. I did my student teaching in Campbell School District. After I finished my 
student teaching, they offered me a job in the district. So I went to a brand new school, Del Mar High School, 1959, as a head track coach and assistant football coach. The head coach of the San Jose State Spartans in 1956 was Dr. Robert Bronson. Vermeil received a call from Dr. Bronson after his first year at Del Mar High. You're going to hear Coach Vermeil bring up a really fun fact about his coaching history at the end of this clip. Dr. Robert Bronson called me and said he could get me a job at Hillsdale High School if I wanted it as the head coach. So I went up and met everybody at the high school, and they gave me the job at Hillsdale High School. And I was there three years as head football coach and head swimming coach. My varsity swimming team won the conference championship all three years. You know, if you have good swimmers, you're a good coach. <laughs> no different than football. If you have good football players, you're a good coach. So Dick Vermeil is even a championship swimming coach. Of course, we all know Dick Vermeil as a highly successful NFL coach. I asked him if the thought of coaching pro football ever crossed his mind while he was coaching at Hilldale High. No. I wanted to be a head coach in high school football. And I started doing it and I loved it. We lost the championship my first year. The next year we won the championship. He added that he loved football so much he didn't enjoy having to split his time teaching P.E. classes in addition to coaching. He then decided to move up into higher coaching levels so that he could focus solely on football. He talks about his move up to the junior college coaching ranks. Doug Scoville left San Mateo College as the head coach, and I went over there and became assistant football coaching the backfield. And I went to work for the offensive line coach who became the head coach, Cliff Giffen. I was there one year, and I got hired to go back to Napa College as the head football coach. Rewinding just a little bit there, Doug Scoville left the College of San Mateo to become quarterback coach at Navy. The quarterback there was Roger Staubach, and Staubach won the Heisman Trophy in Scoville's first year there. Scoville is a good name to know in football history. He was also BYU's quarterback coach for All-Americans Gifford Nielsen, Mark Wilson, and Jim McMahon. And in pro ball, he was the quarterback coach for Randall Cunningham with the Eagles and for John Brody in the last few seasons of his illustrious career. While Vermeil coached at San Mateo, Marv Levy was the head coach at Cal. One of Coach Levy's assistants was Bill Walsh. In episode 10 of the Game Before the Money podcast, Coach Levy told the story of how Dick Vermeil sometimes showed up to Cal practices to observe. Coach Vermeil tells us that he was close friends with Bill Walsh even before Walsh got the assistant job at Cal and remembers those practices for us as well. Bill was my closest friend. When I went to San Jose State, he was a graduate student, and I got to meet him then as a player. And then my first year at San Jose State, he was a graduate assistant coach. And then he went off and became a head coach in a high school and I was going to do my student teaching 
under him at Washington High School in Fremont. But what happened is he got a job at Cal. So I couldn't go there. That's why I went to Campbell School District to do my student teaching. And then I started going over to Cal to watch practices all the time. And Mark Levy was there. I was just an enthusiastic learning coach. I just see what they're doing and learn and get ideas and all that kind of stuff. Because I'd come out of a very limited coaching football experience. And so I was learning every time I went over there, I learned something. And they also put on a clinic in the San Mateo area, Cal coaching staff put on a clinic. And then I would go to a class one night a week where like Rocky Carzo, his running offensive coach and all that kind of stuff would come and speak. And I got to know some of the assistants as well. Vermeil spent two years in the junior college coaching circuit before moving up to division one at Stanford under head coach, John Ralston. Stanford offered me the freshman coaching job because Bill Walsh was now working at Stanford and recommended me to John Ralston. Coach Vermeil worked at Stanford for four years. Future NFL head coach Jim Mora also worked for Stanford during that time. And that's something you're going to want to note for a little bit later in this podcast. In 1969, Dick Vermeil became the NFL's first ever special teams coach. George Allen hired him in that capacity for the Los Angeles Rams. Vermeil shares with us how he got on Coach Allen's radar. His good friend was the head track coach at Stanford, Peyton Jordan, world-famous track coach who was also the coach of the United States Olympic team. And he and I became friends at Stanford over that four-year period. George Allen called Peyton Jordan and asked Peyton if he knew any good young college coaches that would like to be a special teams coach and he recommended me and I got the job. When you think about it, Coach Vermeil's path is pretty incredible. He got his first coaching job in 1959 at Del Mar High School and by 1969 he already had a job as an NFL assistant. Vermeil stayed with Allen for only one season. He told me that he loved working for Coach Allen, but UCLA head coach Tommy Prothrow offered Vermeil the Bruins' offensive coordinator position. Vermeil says he took the job as an opportunity to learn more about the game. When I was at Stanford for four years, I would study UCLA on a year-round basis because I thought they did a marvelous coaching job and won a lot more games with less talent than most people and so I took the job so I could find out how he was doing it and I thought it would be like going to graduate school and learn more football so that's why I left to become the offensive coordinator. Vermeil returned to the Rams after only one season at UCLA through a unique turn of events. UCLA head coach Tommy Prothrow took the head coaching job with the Rams and took Vermeil with him. Prothrow lasted only two seasons with the Rams, but his successor, Chuck Knox, kept Dick Vermeil on his staff. In 1974, Vermeil got the head coaching job at UCLA when Pepper Rogers left to coach Georgia Tech, his alma mater. That's another kind of unique thing about Dick Vermeil's career. That was his first head coaching job in about 10 years. And it's at a school that had been ranked in the AP Top 15 at some point 
for each of the previous nine seasons. Of course, Vermeil did have a history with the school and had been an NFL assistant. And of course, it proved to be an excellent hire. Coach Vermeil led the Bruins to a Pac-8 conference title and a berth in the Rose Bowl in just his second season as head coach. Coach Vermeil's Bruins squared off against Woody Hayes and the undefeated Ohio State Buckeyes, ranked number one in the country with two-time Heisman Trophy winner Archie Griffin and a host of other future NFL players. Ohio State was heavily favored coming into the contest based not only on their ranking and star power, but also because they defeated UCLA 41-20 earlier in the season at UCLA. Heavy odds stood against Coach Vermeil's Bruins, and he knew it would be a tough game. He shares with us what he told his team before the game. He told them the only way we could win the game is for every good player to have his best game on the same day. If everyone played his best game at the same time, we could beat them. And they did. In a recorded pregame segment, Vermeil said that UCLA's defense matured over the season. That defense gave up only three points in the first half, despite giving up 174 yards. The Bruins trailed 3-0 at halftime, and then UCLA erupted for 16 third-quarter points as the defense shut the Buckeyes down. Bruins running back Wendell Tyler sealed the game with a 54-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter and ended up with 172 yards rushing that day. UCLA quarterback John Shira won the game's MVP award with his best passing day of the season. Coach Vermeil's Bruins pulled off one of the biggest upsets in Rose Bowl history with a 23-10 victory as the nation watched on the first day of its bicentennial year of 1976. One man who watched the game was Philadelphia Eagles owner Leonard Tose. This is historic. When he saw Woody Hayes walk across the field before the game was over and give me a hug and then turn around, it was only timeout. There was a minute or so to go in the game. And then go back to his bench. That gave him a thought. So he got on an airplane the next day and flew out to California to try to hire me. Coach Vermeil said that he didn't immediately accept the offer to coach the Eagles. He tells us how he ultimately decided to take the job. Well, I talked to George Allen. He says, you don't get many offers to take a head coaching job. Take it. I talked to Chuck Knox. He said, take it. My coaching staff said, coach, you're crazy. Take the job. I was making 30000 a year coaching UCLA, and I got a raise to 50000 a year to go to the Eagles. When Vermeil took over, the Eagles hadn't had a winning record in a decade. They finished last in their division in half of those seasons. The situation was dire, and the Eagles had traded most of their top draft picks for the next few seasons when Vermeil took over in 1976. Coach talks about that situation and how he overcame the lack of top draft choices. You know, we didn't have a first, second, or third round pick my first year. We didn't have a first, second, or third round pick my second year. We didn't have a first and second round pick my third year. 
So the only way we were going to get better is improve most of the players that we had because we weren't going to draft high-end quality players. So we tried to develop our own, and there were some guys in there that could really play that didn't know they could play as well as they could. Because we didn't have a first, second, third-round pick, we did a great job of picking 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th round players. After a 4-10 first season as head coach, Vermeil made a bold move and traded his Pro Bowl tight end Charlie Young for quarterback Ron Jaworski. The Los Angeles Rams drafted Jaworski while Vermeil was an assistant there. Coach Vermeil said that he liked both Jaworski's character and his potential as an NFL quarterback. In 1977, the Eagles picked a future star running back in the sixth round, Wilbert Montgomery. By 1978, just three years into Vermeil's tenure in Philadelphia, the Eagles made the NFL playoffs for the first time since 1960. They suffered a heartbreaking one-point wildcard loss to Atlanta after leading most of the game. Still, the future looked bright for the fans at Veterans Stadium. The team improved despite not having top-round draft choices. Coach Vermeil explains there really wasn't any sort of secret sauce to that. Just good old-fashioned hard work. We worked very hard. You know, in those days, there was no limit to how much time you could practice, how many times you could have double days, and all that kind of stuff. So we worked very, 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 very hard. The hard work paid off. The Eagles made the playoffs again in 1979, this time with an 11-5 record. Philadelphia beat Chicago in the wildcard round and lost to Tampa Bay in the divisional round. Ron Jaworski matured as a quarterback. Harold Carmichael proved himself as one of the most dependable receivers in the league, and running back Wilbert Montgomery gained over 2,000 yards from scrimmage to lead the National Football League. The hard work continued. Coach Vermeil said that the team never took the pads off in practice. It was always full out. In 1980, Vermeil's Eagles won 12 regular season games, the most in franchise history until the 2017 season over 35 years later. Philadelphia's 12-4 record won the NFC East and quarterback Ron Jaworski won the Burt Bell Award as Player of the Year. Philadelphia hosted Minnesota in the divisional round of the 1980 NFC playoffs. The Vikings, a team that finished a meager 9-7, quickly jumped out to a 14-0 lead. The Eagles still trailed 16-14 in the third quarter after Minnesota's defense scored a safety. But it was the Eagles' defense that took command of the game. The New York Times game summary reported that Minnesota only lost three fumbles during the regular season. Philadelphia doubled that statistic in the second half of the divisional playoff and recovered three Minnesota fumbles. What's more, they intercepted Vikings quarterback Tommy Kramer five times in the second half, creating eight turnovers in 30 minutes of football. You heard that right. The Eagles forced eight second half turnovers in a playoff game. Philadelphia's offense 
followed up and scored three second half touchdowns, two by Wilbert Montgomery, and route to a 31-16 victory in a game that they had once trailed 14 to nothing. The stage was set for an NFC championship at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia between the Philadelphia Eagles and their division rival, the Dallas Cowboys. Both teams owned 12-4 and records during the regular season, and the two teams split their regular season matchups. The Cowboys owned the NFL's highest scoring offense, and the Eagles possessed the league's top-ranked defense in points allowed. Rosenberg reporting live from Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. The weather here is a frigid 16 degrees with a wind chill factor of 17 degrees below zero. The Eagles are in their first ever NFC championship game. The Cowboys are in their eighth under head coach Tom Landry, and they have won the NFC championship five times. Eagles head coach Dick Vermeil elected to dress his team in white jerseys today. That forces the Cowboys to wear their less preferred blue uniforms. We'll see if that strategy makes a difference here today. The winner goes to Super Bowl 15 in New Orleans to play the winner of the Oakland Raiders San Diego Chargers AFC Championship game at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. We'll send you there for a Basie Sports Network preview of that game after this message from the G. Holloman Brewing Company. I'm going to take a second to expand on the fact that the Cowboys were regular customers to the NFC Championship game. 1980 was the 11th season after the AFL-NFL merger, and the Cowboys made the NFC Championship eight times in those 11 years. They won back-to-back NFC Championships twice during the 1970s and had won three of the last five NFC Championships of the 1970s. They also had an incredible 7-3 and record on the road in the playoffs going into that game at Philadelphia. The 1980s were a new decade, but Tom Landry's Cowboys still held their familiar spot in the NFC Championship game. 1980 was Roger Staubach's first year in retirement, but Cowboys quarterback Danny White led Dallas to two quick touchdowns in the fourth quarter during the divisional playoff at Atlanta, including a game-winning touchdown to Drew Pearson with 42 seconds left. So it was the same old Dallas Cowboy magic. The Philadelphia Eagles stood as an upstart team, newcomers to the NFL's heavyweight division. To outsiders, this game was difficult to predict, and oddsmakers listed the Cowboys as a one-point favorite. The Philadelphia Eagles, however, were ready, confident, and determined on that cold January Sunday. Through the preparation in that week, all the way into where we left to go on the field, I didn't think there was any way Dallas could beat us. To that day, 
And since that time, I have never been on the field with a team that was more easily read in terms of they were going to win the football game. George Allen was in our locker room, free kickoff, and we went out. He pulled me to a side and he said, Dick, there is no way the Dallas Cowboys can beat this football team in frame of mind they're in right now. That's what, exactly what he told me. Dallas won the toss and elected to receive it. The Eagle defense forced a three and out. Philadelphia owned great field position after the punt and had the ball on the Cowboys' 42-yard line. Ron Zaworski threw an incomplete pass on first down and took a hard hit from Hall of Fame defensive tackle Randy White. Philadelphia's second down play was a different story. Running back Wilbert Montgomery took the handoff and ran untouched all the way to the end zone as the veteran stadium crowd erupted. The Eagles gained a 7-0 lead after only two offensive plays. My own personal memory of the game, I was in elementary school at the time. It was one of the first NFC Championship games that I ever watched. And that Wilbert Montgomery play, I can still remember it over 40 years later. And I'm certain that many of you listening also watched that game and can also remember it. It was an unforgettable play, and it came early in the game against Tom Landry's legendary flex defense that wasn't known to give up big running plays, especially early. I remember sitting just stunned at how easy the Eagles made that play look. Of course, I asked Coach Vermeil about the play and the story behind it. They would go to a nickel defense or even a six-pack defense and with the four good down linemen and uh, one linebacker in that. And they would play man-to-man coverage and lock on man-to-man. So we shifted out of a shotgun, which we had never done, and moved the quarterback in and shifted the backs to an eye in a spread formation and handed off a running play. We ran number one all year, and it broke clean. And all the defenders were playing man coverage on wide receivers. And they didn't see him until they got downfield 10, 15 yards. So it was just one of those key game plan plays that worked as you dreamt it might. The run call to the right side caught the Cowboys completely off guard. And both their nickelback and a linebacker took two stabs in the wrong direction after the ball was snapped. Great blocking by the Eagles' offensive line and their receivers, combined with Wilbert Montgomery's speed, and the home team had America's team on their heels just two minutes into the game. Coach Vermeil made the right call at the right time and got the ball into the hands of the right man to create the signature play of the 1980 NFC Championship game. And Coach Vermeil wanted to note that he later brought Montgomery on as a coach when he got the job with the Rams. So Wilbert Montgomery, a great running back and also an excellent coach. The score was tied at seven at halftime, but the Eagles took command in the third quarter. Philadelphia forced three turnovers in the third quarter and capitalized 
with 10 points to lead 17 to seven. Eagles kicker Tony Franklin kicked a fourth quarter field goal to clinch the game 20 to seven. Wilbur Montgomery finished with 194 yards rushing and fullback Leroy Harris added 60 more for the Eagles. The two of them totaled for more yards than the entire Cowboys offense scratched out against the incredible Eagle defense. Again, that forced eight turnovers in the second half against Minnesota and three turnovers in the third quarter against the Cowboys. Coach Vermeil and the Philadelphia Eagles were on their way to Super Bowl 15 against the Oakland Raiders. The game matched up Dick Vermeil and Tom Flores as head coaches, two men from small towns in California who once tried out together at Pacific. The game was also a rematch from week 12 of the regular season, a game that Philadelphia won to raise their record to 11-1 on the season, and they became the first team to clinch a playoff berth for the 1980 playoffs. The Eagles got off to a rough start in Super Bowl 15. Quarterback Ron Jaworski threw an interception on the team's first possession, and Philadelphia soon trailed 7-0. The Eagles looked like they tied the score at 7 a few minutes later with a 40-yard touchdown pass, but it was called back for illegal motion. Later in the first quarter, the Eagles' pass rush forced Raider quarterback Jim Plunkett out of the pocket but he lofted a pass into the flat to running back Kenny King, who turned it into an 80-yard score. At that time, the longest touchdown pass in Super Bowl history. The Eagles fell behind 14 to nothing. They countered with a field goal on their next possession, but 14 to three would be as close as they would get. At halftime, Vermeil was quoted as saying that it just didn't look like their team out there. Something was certainly amiss with the Eagles that day, and the Raiders beat Philadelphia 27-10. The Eagles went 10-6 the next year, but lost the wild card round to the New York Giants. Philadelphia experienced a rough first quarter in that game as well, giving up 20 points before the first 15 minutes concluded. The 1982 NFL season kicked off as usual, but it was hardly a usual year. A player's strike started after the games of week two and continued into November. The Eagles lost four straight games after returning and finished three and six in the strike-shortened season. Meanwhile, Vermeil's work ethic became the stuff of legend. He mentioned earlier about the hard work his players put into practices, but Coach Vermeil worked just as hard, if not harder. He was known to watch film past 3 o'clock in the morning. He'd sleep in his coaching office to maximize his football working hours. After the 1982 season concluded, Coach Vermeil resigned from his head coaching position, citing burnout. He's often cited as the person who initiated that term, burnout. The Eagles' official website contains quotes from his press conference, and he said that he put so much effort into coaching that he lost perspective on how many hours he put into his work and how many hours of sleep he needed. Of course, the world of coaching in the NFL can also be difficult on one's family. 
and takes away time that coaches have with their spouses and their children during the season. Dick Vermeil worked as a commentator on NFL and college football broadcasts after leaving the Eagles. He got offers from NFL teams to return to coaching. The Atlanta Falcons made him a very tempting offer in late 1986 that he seriously considered. The Kansas City Chiefs also offered him a position. He didn't accept another coaching job until the St. Louis Rams offered him the head coaching job for the 1997 season. For you younger listeners, the St. Louis Rams are now known as the Los Angeles Rams. Coach Ramil tells us why he accepted the Rams position 14 years after leaving Philadelphia. They had offered me the job each time it was open after I left coaching. And I decided these people really wanted me. And I'd turned it down before. And if I turned it down this time, I'd be too old to ever go back. And no one, no one else was going to offer me a job. So I took it. It was a situation similar to the Eagles job when he was hired in Philadelphia as the Rams had gone seven seasons without a winning record. Coach Vermeil used his template of sweat and hard work to rebuild the St. Louis Rams. The first two years of the Ram program, we went back and rebuilt it like I did the Eagles my first few years. We never took the pads off. We worked long hours. We worked double days, maximum, all the time until the season started. And then we never took the pads off. And we worked very, very hard. Despite all the hard work, the Rams finished 5-11 and in Vermeil's first year of 1997 and 4-12 and in 1998. Some of the biggest problems were on offense, and the Rams finished next to last in the NFL in rushing offense in 1998. During the offseason, however, the Rams pulled off a fantastic trade with the Colts to get star running back Marshall Falk a future Hall of Famer in his prime. St. Louis only gave up a second and fifth round pick to obtain the superstar. Coach Vermeil walks us through the trade, which included him working with Colts coach Jim Mora. The two coaches had a good relationship through working at Stanford and later at UCLA. He was available and we went after and got him. And Jim Mora and I had worked together and Jim Mora was the head coach at Indy. So in the final part of it, the final decision part of it, I talked to Jim. Jim and I made an agreement and got it done. All the framework and groundwork was done by John Shaw and Jay Zygmunt, Charlie Army, and, and John Becker. The Rams obtained Falk for a very low price. Again, it was a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick. But don't feel sorry for the Colts. They were making room to draft another future Hall of Famer, Edger and James. The trade brought the NFL's leader in yards from scrimmage to the Rams. Marshall Falk picked up over 1,300 yards rushing and 900 yards receiving the previous season. Things looked great for the Rams' backfield going into 1999. Vermeil also signed quarterback Trent Green, a free agent from Washington, who threw for over 3,400 yards and 23 touchdowns the previous season. The Rams traded their previous starting quarterback, Tony Banks, to the Baltimore Ravens. A little-known backup named Kurt Warner moved up to the second string 
on the Rams QB depth chart. Coach Vermeil and the St. Louis Rams were all in on Trent Green, however, and built high hopes around him. Those hopes crashed down when Green suffered a frightful knee injury in a preseason game against San Diego. In an interview for A Football Life for the NFL Network, Vermeil stated that a lot of players' hopes went down alongside Green. Coach Vermeil's press conference after the game was both emotional and inspiring. He said that the Rams wouldn't use Trent Green's injury as an excuse. Instead, he promised that the team would rally around Kurt Warner and play good football. That quote was basically the NFL's introduction to Kurt Warner. He was an anonymous backup at the time. Green had a breakout season the year before. Nobody knew what to expect from the untested Warner, who was a mere 4 for 11 passing in his NFL career at that point. It turned out to be one of the most feel-good stories in NFL history. Before signing with the Rams, Warner worked at a grocery store in Cedar Falls, Iowa for $5.50 an hour and played in the Arena Football League. Coach Vermeil tells us how the Rams discovered the future Hall of Fame quarterback who's about to lead the team to a Super Bowl victory. He was recommended to us by a coach I knew from California. He was going over and coaching the NFL Europe, and he wanted Kurt because he had seen him in the Arena League and liked him. So I brought him in and worked him out, liked the workout, and signed him. Charlie Army and John Becker, my two personnel people, were in favor of signing him, so we signed him. And then we sent him to Germany and had he played 10 games in Germany. Then we brought him back, and he was our third quarterback in 1998. We moved him to our number two quarterback in 1999. And then when Trent Green went down after bringing him in from the Redskins, he took over as the starting quarterback and rewrote all the records. Dick Vermeil took the Philadelphia Eagles to the Super Bowl in his fifth season as head coach. He won the Super Bowl with the St. Louis Rams in only his third season as head coach. He talks about that team going into that 1999 season and what was different about that year's team. We ended up with only nine guys off the original roster that went to the Super Bowl in three years. And then going into my third year, we reorganized practice a little bit, cutting back on the pad work, cutting back on the hours and all that. And it freshened them up a little mentally. It, it improved their enthusiasm toward practice. I brought in Mike Martz and Al Saunders and these kind of guys, John Masco, on my coaching staff, and, and they made a first-round pick contribution, you know. And we brought in Tory Holt. Coach also pointed out that in his first three years with the Rams, two of their first-round draft picks were Hall of Fame caliber players. Offensive lineman Orlando Pace is in the Hall of Fame, and seven-time Pro Bowler Tory Holt has been named a finalist multiple times, including in 2021. He's also a member of the Hall of Fame's All-Decade team for the 2000s. The 1999 Rams won Super Bowl 34 over the Tennessee Titans in a game famous for a goal line tackle by Rams linebacker Mike Jones as time ran out. It was the first time the Rams won an NFL championship since 1951. For Coach Vermeil, 
it kept an incredible worst-to-first turnaround. He abruptly retired two days after Super Bowl 34, stating that very few coaches get to retire on top. He returned to coaching after only a single season of retirement, accepting an offer from the Kansas City Chiefs. He tells us why he returned to coaching after only a brief retirement. The only reason I went back to Kansas City after leaving the Rams was the president of the Kansas City Chiefs was an assistant of mine at UCLA, and I brought him to the Eagles with me and moved him from coaching after a while to assistant general manager and personnel director, and then he became the president general manager of the USFL Philadelphia Stars, and they won the championships. Then he was hired to go to Kansas City. He offered me the job to go to Kansas City with him. When he first went there, and I didn't do it. And then later on, after winning the Super Bowl, I'm out for a year. I realized I made a mistake in retiring. So I went back and coached the Chiefs for five years, which was a wonderful experience. The owner was a great person. I had a great coaching staff, and we did a good job. We could never get a defense equivalent to put us in the Super Bowl. Our offense was very, very good. Kansas City's owner, of course, was the great Lamar Hunt. Kansas City's president at the time was Carl Peterson, who worked at UCLA from 1972 through 1976. Vermeil led the Chiefs to a 13-3 record in only his third season as head coach, completing the third major turnaround of a team in his NFL coaching career. During that 2003 season, he guided the Chiefs to a road win against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field after Kansas City trailed 31-14 going into the fourth quarter. Kansas City won the AFC West that year, but lost a tough divisional round playoff game to the Colts. In 2005, Vermeil led Kansas City to a 10-6 record, narrowly missing the AFC playoffs. He was the oldest coach in the NFL at the time. He retired at the end of the season after his team dominated the playoff-bound Cincinnati Bengals 37-3 in the final week of the regular season. He retired after 15 seasons as an NFL head coach and with a winning record in both the regular season and the playoffs. After all the wins, the Super Bowl victory, the NFC Championship win, and all the division titles, when Coach Vermeil looks back, he still remembers where he came from and the people who helped him put together a tremendous and legendary career. Well, right here on the wall to my left, I just stepped over to it. My first contract signed September 1st, 1959, Delmar High School, Campbell School District. Uh, let's see, it was for $5,260 a year plus for $250 for coaching. So total salary was $5,510 a year. And I say thank you to all the wonderful players I've been exposed to and all the wonderful coaches. And, and I say thank you to my wife because she was like an assistant coach. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. And special thanks to Coach Vermeil for interviewing for this episode. My next episode will be episode 50 of the Game Before the Money podcast, 
and will feature one of Coach Vermeil's players with the Kansas City Chiefs, Hall of Fame offensive lineman Willie Rofe. I will also have upcoming episodes with Washington kicker Mark Mosley, Hall of Fame 49ers linebacker Dave Wilcox, and Broncos AFL legends Lionel Taylor and Al Denson, as well as Super Bowl groundskeeper George Toma. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also listen at thegamebeforethemoney.com. Transcriptions of some podcasts are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com and are powered by our transcription partner, Sonics. That's S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more about their automated transcription services. And once again, remember to check out vermeilwines.com for more on Coach Vermeil's background as well as some really good wine that you can order. That's vermeilwines.com. Music and sound effects, including fictionalized radio broadcasts produced by Eleven Productions. Right.